Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Okay, now I want you to imagine that you're a young backpacker and you're going through Southeast Asia. You're open, you're partying, you're having the time of your life and you meet Charles. And Charles is such a cool guy and his girlfriend, oh my god, his girlfriend is so pretty. And they invite you to stay in their villa because they're just nice like that. And after a couple of days, you start to get sick and it must be the food. Your stomach just isn't used to it. Or maybe it's dengue or malaria. And you, you're just getting sicker and sicker and you think, oh no, I need to get to the hospital. But your host, Charles and Marie, they're, they're just taking such good care of you. They tell you, don't worry about it. The hospital is even worse. You've just been trapped by the serpent. Hi, I'm Teddy and welcome to A Brief Case. Today, we're covering the case of Charles Sabraj. Over his lifetime, he built a reputation. He was known as the bikini killer, the spitting killer, the serpent. And generally, it's suspected that Charles killed at least 12 people in South and Southeast Asia but it's estimated that he had up to 30 victims. Charles was born on 6 April 1944, and he wasn't born Charles. Instead, he was born Hochan Baunani Gurmukh Sobraj. So it's a, it's a bit of a mouthful. And he was born in French Indochina otherwise known as Vietnam today and it was a really messy time and it would have been towards the end of World War II and at that time there was also a civil war in Vietnam and it was around the time of the rise in communism and on top of that Vietnam also faced the famine of 1945 and this had a death toll of, of, of anywhere between 700,000 and 2 million people. Now, Charles had an interesting heritage. He was born in Saigon, or now as most of us know it, Ho Chi Minh City. And he was born to a North Indian father and a Vietnamese mother. So Charles was actually half Cindy and half Vietnamese. And from what I could find, his dad was a relatively successful businessman. And he, he was a tailor, a moneylender, a owner of a couple of shops. And on the other hand, Okay, I, I mean, we have to take into account that the 1940s were a different time for women. His mom worked as a shop assistant, as a shop girl. And certain sources also say that she, at times she worked as a bar hostess. It's also mentioned in some sources that his parents, they were never married. And his dad abandoned them a little while after he was born. But again, these sources also alleged that Charles's mom blames him for their separation, but we don't know how true that was. And while some other sources also mentioned that they separate, because Charles' mom found out that he had another wife back in India, which is like, okay, bro. Okay, so now that's not really a great start, but you know, you, you do what you can. And anyway, because Charles, Charles didn't have a legal identity because he was technically born out of wedlock, and he was technically, and I saw a couple of pictures 
Charles's mom was very, very pretty. And so, when Charles was about four, she met and married a Frenchman, Lieutenant Alphonse Darrow. And her new husband, Alphonse, technically adopted Charles. And this gave him a French passport. But even though Alphonse adopted Charles, he didn't give Charles his last name and Charles still kept his dad's name, Sobratch. And I think also because of the nature of his stepfather's job, they moved back and forth between France and Vietnam. And Charles ends up going to a Catholic boarding school in Paris. And that's where he took on the name Charles. And when Charles's mom and stepfather started to have kids, Charles started to feel like a bit neglected. I mean, he's already in a Catholic boarding school in Paris away from his family where he's being bullied for being, well, not white, I guess, you know, given the time. And the thing is that we can't blame him for being angry about this because he was a child and sometimes with step-siblings, it's very easy to feel like you're being replaced. So instead of focusing on his mom and his stepdad, he's like, yeah, screw that. He, instead, he, he started idolizing his dad. He started building up this imaginary figure of a father that maybe like didn't want to abandon him. But the thing is, I don't think that his dad felt the same way because while he was growing up, while he was like a bit older, Charles would start to sneak onto boats to try to sneak back to Saigon where his dad sometimes was. And sometimes the boat, like, you know, you're like a sailor, you're walking through, you see Charles, the, somebody on the boat will catch him halfway. And the reason why I don't think his dad felt the same way is because on the occasion that he managed to make it there, his dad would just send him straight back to France. So that was his situation and I think he felt very... I can understand why he might have felt very lonely and very isolated. So Charles was eventually baptized as a Catholic and when the family was in France, they lived in Marseille. But like going back to his education, he wasn't a very good student. He always missed class. His grades were kind of shitty. And then Charles himself, he felt kind of sick of school and he was bullied and he was bored. So he started committing small crimes like petty theft and he was very, very manipulative. He wouldn't do it himself. So when he was 10, he manipulated his half-brother, Andre, into robbing a shop for him. And when his mom caught them, Charles said, he actually said that he could always find an idiot to do what he wanted. So this, this is Charles at 10 years old. He was kind of a dick. And so when he was a teenager, he started doing bigger crimes. He started running with a better crowd. And what's interesting is that he had a friend who actually taught him karate. And this is really useful because he ends up going to prison when he was 19. And so that should be in 1963. That's when Charles gets his first jail sentence for a burglary at Poissy Prison near Paris. And if I'm not wrong, the sentence was about three years or so. The other thing is that prison is miserable. I mean, it's supposed to be. The prison was originally built in the 16th century as a convent and then converted into a prison. And the cells were very small. They were only used for sleeping and in prison... The prisoners were grouped based on nationality and then based on their sanity and I guess how ferocious they were, which is a bit like, okay? <laughs> so you put all the, the more dangerous, unstable people together, which is, which is a bit scary. Okay, so now at that time, Charles was relatively young and he was considered like quite good looking. 
And not to be vulgar, but there's a lot of jokes about what happens to young, good-looking men in prison, right? But between his skills of manipulation and his karate skills, we know that he was able to keep himself pretty safe in prison. And the other thing is that in French prisons, you are not allowed to keep anything or decorate yourself. Like, you aren't allowed to have any personal belongings because, I mean, God, it's prison. And because Charles was really manipulative, somehow, just somehow he managed to convince the prison officials to to allow him to keep books. And even though Charles wasn't good at school, he was smart. He was very strategic. And he took his time to study. He learned languages. And now, there were people who volunteered with the prison. And one of them was called Felix. F- Felix... Descogne, Felix Descogne, I don't know, my French is terrible. And I think that Charles could tell that Felix was rich because, I mean, sometimes you can just tell, right? And he really wanted to take advantage of that. And to quote a newspaper source, Charles portrayed himself as so pathetic that he attracted the special attention of one of the volunteers who visited the prison. So that's a lot. And Charles and Felix, they actually got so close that eventually when Charles left the prison, he moved in with Felix. And Felix actually brought him around, introduced him to rich and important people, and basically tried to give Charles every opportunity to get his life back on track because he was a nice guy like that. But Charles, Charles was not done with his life of crime. So even though he was living and hanging out with Felix, even though he had all these amazing opportunities, he was still committing crimes on the side. And he was still running a series of scams, of burglaries. So you can tell that Charles had some impulse control issues. And it was around this time that he meets Chantal Compagnon. And Chantal was a beautiful woman, okay? Like... Like, if you look at pictures of her, you'd think she's like, oh shit, beautiful, alright? And she wasn't just beautiful, she came from a rich, traditionally French Catholic family and they met at a party, probably a party that Felix introduced him to, you know? Charles, of course, he lies to her. He tells her, oh, I come from a rich family in Saigon. And of course, her parents didn't approve of it. Because honestly, this guy was full of red flags. He was like a forest of red flags. Even his proposal was a massive red flag. Okay, and so here's how his proposal goes. Alright, one night, he steals a car and goes to a fancy casino with Chantal. And he's, he's on a roll. He was in a rush. He bets thousands and thousands of francs. And not his francs though. And he loses it all. And then after losing thousands of francs, does he think that betting is a bad idea? That gambling is terrible for you? That it's his fault to begin with? You know, because why would you spend thousands of dollars gambling? No, instead he's like, Mmm, my girl, Chantal, she must be bad luck because she has been refusing to marry him. And this is a bad relationship and we know that this has a bad ending. God, Chantal, she deserves better. And you know, I'm, I am so tired of bad relationships. So let's take a break. Are you, are you a little bit tired of true crime, unhappy endings? Do you want a happy ending for a change? There is this new podcast that I've been listening to. It's called How I Met You, an Asian podcast about love. 
and every Monday they release episodes where couples share how they meet their biggest arguments, their less than perfect proposals, just like this one. Yeah, that was the moment he started scratching his butt. <laughs> because I, I took the I took the ring out of the box, right? So it's just in my pocket. And I put it in my back pocket. So for a period I was standing in front of her scratching my butt. <laughs> But, yeah. Yeah. Finding the ring, uh, right? He was like just scratching. I was like, why are you scratching your butt? And I was like, I, I sort of knew already, but it was very funny to see. Yeah. And then I went down on one knee after that conclusion, right? And I asked her, Will you marry me? Yes, of course. <laughs> Alright, now if you want to check How I Met You, an Asian podcast about love, I'll have a link to their podcast in the description. Anyway, back to Charles and his shitty proposal. So what does he do? You know, does he try harder? Does he try to be a better man? No, he's in a stolen car and he's just, you know, driving, he's speeding, and so he keeps driving faster and faster. And Chantelle is just in the passenger seat, she's scared, and so he keeps speeding, and then he's like, you know what, I'm gonna keep speeding, and I'm gonna go faster and faster, and we don't know what will happen unless you marry me. It's <sighs> terrible proposal, all right? And now, the police catch up to him because he's speeding, right? And he tries evading the police. He, he, they're on like a high-speed chase now. And he ends up crashing the car with Chantelle in it. And even after all this, she agrees to marry him. Alright, now Charles gets caught for the stolen car. And he's sent to 8 months in prison. And instead of running away, because you know, your opportunity, he's in prison. Run away, run far, far away. Chantelle sticks with him and... And she even tells her friends, oh no, you know what? Charles is not in prison. Where do you hear that from? He's serving in the military. He's a military man. Okay, now Charles did have some money. He had some money that he stole and that he scammed from people. And so after he gets out of prison, he marries Chantal and... Blood twist, Chantelle is pregnant. And the whole time that Chantelle is pregnant, instead of finding a regular job, Charles continues scamming people and just committing crimes through friends. He burglarizes rich homes, he writes bad checks, and you know, the thing is that even with his continued criminality, is that a word, he still had Felix in his life. And so he borrows Felix's car, he's like, okay, it'll be about a day or so. He takes his wife, everything he owns, and then he drives out of France. And now the thing is that Europe is not very big, right? So they drive through Eastern Europe. And all the while, Charles is just committing crimes. And again, he's writing bad checks. He's robbing people. And I'm pretty sure he would have been burglarizing as well. Eventually, they reach Istanbul and then Bombay. And while they are in Bombay, Chantal gives birth to Charles's daughter. And honestly, according to some sources, Chantal really didn't know, okay? She didn't know that Charles was a criminal. I, I think maybe it was the environment that she was brought in, the, the bubble of privilege and protection. Because every time that he would go off and do crime, he would be like, don't worry baby, I'm going off to do business. 
Alright, so they end up settling in Bombay for a while and Charles and Chantel, they have no problem integrating into French society and we know that Charles is charming, he's manipulative and I mean, Chantel is young, she's pretty, she's from a good family, she has a cute baby and the thing is that usually you don't think that families, young families with children are gonna go off and do crime and so while they were in India, Charles had this one main scam and he basically scammed people with stolen cars. So here's how he did it. So Charles would either steal the car or he would grab stolen cars from Pakistan or Iran. And then he would bring them into India and then he would buy off the border guards to not look too closely at the paperwork, you know, the title deeds, any import stamps. And so now once his stolen car was in India, he would, he would go to the police and be like, this car is stolen. And the police, they would sell the cars at police auctions and, you know, if it hasn't been claimed a while. And then Charles would buy back the car from the police auction and then, ta-da! He has an official title deed because he bought it from the police. And then after that, he would take the car with the official title deed that he bought for really cheap from the police. And then he would sell it to rich Frenchmen, rich Indians, whoever liked cool cars because, you know, everybody likes a cool car. And this made him quite a lot of money. The only thing about the scam is that it would take him away from Bombay for long periods of time, leaving Chantel and his daughter alone. And so, to sayang her a bit, he would buy her jewellery, but we also, we also don't know where this jewellery came from. And the other thing is that even though he was making quite a lot of money from this, Charles had a massive gambling problem. He was a compulsive gambler. And this is one thing that will really just follow him through his life, you know, in addition to the whole criminal criminality. And so this is what he did from 1970 to 1971. And then a little while after that, he ends up losing a ton of money in a Macau casino. And you know, the gangs there, they, they are not so gentle. They aren't so forgiving, especially not to people who owe them money. And so Charles needs to get them some money, right? And at that point of time, he meets a Frenchman who says, Hey, I got a plan. This won't just make you enough money to pay off your debts. You're going to live comfortably for a long time. And so what did they do? They planned to rob a jewelry store at the Hotel Ashoka in Delhi, India. And the Hotel Ashoka, that's a fancy hotel. And here's how they planned to do it. They were gonna book a room above a jewelry store and then drill down into a store. This is like something from a cartoon. And then they were gonna rob the place in the middle of the night and no one was going to catch them. And no one would even know because I think at that time they didn't even have CCTV. So that's a solid plan, right? So Charles and gang, they get all their equipment and then they rent the room all ready to commit their crime. But guess what? They start drilling and keep drilling and drilling and drilling for three days. But the ceiling of the store, like which is their floor, their hotel floor, was made with impenetrable concrete, which I didn't know was a thing, but I guess it is. And the other thing I wasn't so sure is how did no one notice that there was drilling going on for like three days straight, right? 
But yeah, so Charles is smart and the gang is smart, so they have a backup plan. So they pretend that they are rich and they call the store. Hello, looking to buy some jewelry, but we don't actually want to go into the store because you know that's so lame, that's for like all the plebs. How about you bring some jewelry up and we'll take a look at it in our room. And this is not like an unusual thing, this is like private shopping, you know. And because the staffs were like, oh yeah, I guess, the Hotel Ashoka, and I'm guessing this is something that really does happen relatively often. So they bring some jewelry up and the moment they open the door, there's a gun pointed right at the jewelry shop guy. Alright, and they take his keys and they empty out the whole store. And this is a massive haul. This was like $10,000 cash, a whole bunch of jewels. And so Charles rushes to the airport. He's ready to run with his haul. But guess what? The store owner escapes and the police ends up sealing off the airport. And the truth is, I think most prisons suck. But I can't imagine what an Indian prison in the 70s was like. And so he leaves it all behind, returns empty-handed to Bombay, where his wife and his daughter, they were just waiting. He continues his car scam, he continues trying to raise the money, but eventually he gets pulled over while driving a stolen car and he gets sent to prison. Now one reason why Charles was known as the serpent is because he always managed to slither out under the radar, out of prison. In Bombay, he was imprisoned in Tilha, so it's like one of the most brutal prisons in the world. And to escape, he pretended that he was having stomach issues because he wanted to be taken out to the hospital, which had more relaxed security. And so they actually go and take out his appendix. So he actually gets like appendix surgery. And while he's supposed to be recovering in the hospital, he gets his wife, the innocent mother of his child he gets his wife to drug the guy and after she drugs the guards because they want to prevent the police from finding him as long as possible right she hides for a bit and pretends to be charles and on top of that she also drugs herself with chloroform which cannot be good for you so you can tell how manipulative charles is Alright, but you know, the Bombay police, they're quite good and he was captured a little while after. And even though Chantelle was technically asleep when they found her, it didn't really convince the police because they were pretty certain she was like involved in the escape plot. Now, Chantelle was released a little while after because they really just wanted Charles. And even though Charles didn't have money, he reached out to his dad and his dad posted bail. And so even though they did post bail, they didn't go to court, you see, because Charles was the serpent after all, he's all slithery. So they pack up their lives from India and ran away to Afghanistan. And some sources allege, okay, so this is not a confirmed kill. Some sources alleged that he killed his driver to Afghanistan, a Pakistani man called Habib. They say that he injected him with a drug and then dumped him in a river, but I couldn't find too many details and this is just unconfirmed across the many many sources that we pulled this episode from. And so while he was in Afghanistan, Charles really couldn't pull his car scam off anymore. But that doesn't mean that he stopped scamming people altogether. So he started running a whole different set of cons and he started robbing hippies. 
And this was actually a thing in the past. It was something called the Hashish Trail. <laughs> right, don't do drugs. Alright, it's where Western kids from Europe, America, Australia, they backpack through and it's all the way from Asia into the Middle East. And so it's basically following wherever marijuana was available. Don't do drugs, repeat. <laughs> and so he would scam these kids and it was enough for Charles and his family to live comfortably in Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan. But <laughs> Charles got bored and he didn't just want to stay in Afghanistan. So he decides he wants to move his family again and they go to the airport. But guess what? He didn't pay rent for the last two months and the Afghani police, they catch him while he's trying to leave. And according to some sources, an Afghan prison is worse than an Indian prison. And so, we're gonna have fun fact time. So this is a fun fact about Afghani prisons in the 1970s. And you have to settle your own food. <laughs> Alright? Which is very interesting because... I know one big thing prisons try to do is to prevent people from bringing things in and out of prison, right? But in Afghanistan, you have to hire somebody or get somebody to provide your food, alright? If not, the prison doesn't really provide it. And then, you know, you, I guess, starve to death. So Charles hired a runner and one day, instead of having the runner bring him food, he has the runner bring him a syringe, like a medical syringe for needles and, and diabetics and stuff. And then the next thing of what I'm about to say is a bit scary, okay? So he takes the syringe and he draws out his own blood. Like enough of it to fill a cup. And then once he has this cup of blood, he drinks it. And then he calls out to the guard like, Oh no, something is wrong. I feel so fucking terrible. And when the guards arrive, he basically just like floops over and starts vomiting out the blood that he just drew from from himself so basically it looks like his he's massively massively sick this man is vomiting blood and after that he was taken to the hospital obviously and he did the same thing he he drugged and ran away from the guards and as a prison escapee he didn't want to be in afghanistan anymore so he ran away to iran and the thing is that he ran away without Chantal and his daughter. And Chantal, she was just so sick of this. She just wanted a better life for her daughter. And she, yo, she came from a rich family. She has friends. And Charles, this fucker, abandons her. And even though she just loved him so very, very much from everything I could find, she just couldn't anymore. And good for you. But I, I would have said tap out like ages ago. At this point, she was so completely done with him. She leaves Kabul, goes back to France, and that's the end of their marriage. And after these two stints in prison, Charles, he became a little bit more careful. He didn't want to get caught again. And so he just moves around for a while, stealing from people. Another reason why he was able to keep under the radar was because he would travel with a whole bunch of different passports. So you could never really track exactly where he was. And he had as many as like 10 passports that were stolen, some illegally bought, but most of them didn't have his actual name on it. Most of them didn't have Charles Sebrach on it. And according to Charles himself, 
during this time he travels from pakistan rome kabul he was even in eastern europe in yugoslavia and bulgaria and at some point even in copenhagen and that's crazy right that he managed to travel through legal passports all through europe okay and one thing i feel like is a bad thing in his life is that charles didn't like to be alone and after his wife left him he actually got his brother andre to join him in istanbul and he he started to convince his brother to do crime with him and so they robbed they lied they stole from people in turkey and now they were very smart about this because Turkey and Greece, the country Turkey and the country Greece, historically they have a lot of beef, past wars, invasions, all that. So after they build up this massive rap sheet in Turkey, they run away to Greece because they have no extradition. And Charles, he decides, okay, I'm gonna start robbing a jewelry star, and then they get caught. And because Charles had this rap sheet, but Andre didn't. Charles told Andre to pretend to be with him. You know where this is going. And then Charles, pretending to be Andre, would be let out after a little while because he his crimes were minor, right? And then after a while, Andre would be like, "Whoops, I'm not Charles. I'm actually Andre. Surprise!" And then he would be let out because they got the wrong guy, right? But the Greeks were like, "No." The Greeks want lenient, which isn't what Charles and Andre were prepared for. And so Charles had to pull another hospital scam to escape. And this also makes me very surprised because either Charles is very good at breaking out of prisons or the prison guards are very, very lenient in Greece. Anywho, Charles escapes and Andre, he decides to do the big reveal and he's like, Hello, I'm Andre. But the Greeks, they are pissed as hell. And so they did the thing that Charles and Andre did not expect, which is they turned Andre over to Turkey. And while Andre, he didn't have a rap sheet in Greece, he had a hell of a rap sheet in Turkey. He was convicted of theft and sentenced to 18 years of hard labor. And Charles, he abandons Andre there. And honestly, I don't think he really cared for him. I think he was a bit of a psychopath. And I think Charles doesn't really care for anyone. He just used Andre and abandoned him. So I'm guessing he never had a second thought about it. And now Charles knew he couldn't hang around Europe anymore. So he runs away, moving around Middle East and South Asia. And this is where he started developing his MO, his modus operandi. So he would meet either French or English-speaking tourists because he spoke French and he spoke English. And then he would pretend that he was a fancy drawler or like a fancy Asian businessman. And he would use them to illegally smuggle jewels. And he, if he couldn't use them for that, he would steal their passports, their tickets, their traveler's checks. And you really, you, it's very hard to track a traveler's check. And now around this time, we don't know how, but he meets a woman who would be his long-term partner in crime. And there's a couple of different opinions on this, but personally, I think that she was a mixture of gullible, massively manipulated, and I think 
willfully ignorant at times. Her name was Marie-André Leclerc, and she was French-Canadian. And if I'm not wrong, she was Quebecois. And according to Wikipedia, they met in India. And Marie Leclerc was seduced by Charles to the point where after their vacation ended, he wrote to her in Canada asking her to come back to Bangkok to be with him. And he wrote her love letter after love letter after love letter. And when she did arrive in Thailand, surprise, he has a Thai girlfriend. And I think anyone else would have just been like, fuck this and leave. But for some reason, she stayed and this wouldn't be the first affair that he had and this wouldn't be the first or last time that he cheated on her but still she stayed but don't ever stay for somebody who cheats on you and now this time Charles adds another tool to his robbery scam toolkit. He started drugging his victims, even though he technically wasn't killing anyone yet. And now, Charles and Marie, they start using aliases, and it's usually Elaine and Monique. And so, they meet an Australian couple on vacation. They drug their coconuts, they break into their room, they steal their cash, passports, valuables, anything of anything. And now, remember how... I said it felt like Charles never wanted to be alone. He started building his crew. Alright. So in addition to Marie, his number one girl, he has Dominique, this French boy that he drugged to make him think that he was sick and then he takes care of him and then becomes his saviour. And now Dominique felt like he owed Charles. He also had Yannick and Jacques. So Yannick and Jacques were two former French police officers. So you would think that they knew like a bit better, right? And this one was interesting. He made them think that they lost their passports, but actually he stole their passports. And while they were panicking, he was like, don't worry about it. You can stay with me. I'll take care of you while you're here. And he's so generous, right? And after he helps, helps, air quotes, helps them find their passport, because he's such a good guy. So he has Dominique, Yannick, and Jacques who are like obligated to him. And now we're building up to Charles's number one. Monique was Charles's number one girl. But Charles's number one right hand man, his lieutenant, was A.J. Chowdhury. And you have to think that the only reason that this man could be Charles's right hand man was because he was just like Charles. And you're not wrong. We know that Charles's behavior had been escalating and escalating. And right around this time, Charles begins the start of his backpacker killing spree. So this is part one of the Charles Subraj case. We checked out his early childhood, his early life. Next week, we're going to be looking at how he started his killing spree with the help of his girlfriend, Marie Leclerc, and his right-hand man, AJ Chowdhury. We also want to thank our sponsors for this episode. Remember to catch How I Met You, an Asian podcast about love anywhere else that you listen to podcasts i'll have their link in the description as always you can drop me a dm on instagram at a briefcase podcast this particular episode the charles subraj case was a listener recommended case and as always you can also find me online at a briefcasepodcast.com and do join us next week for another briefcase Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.